Sonic States. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to Sonic Talk 33. I'll call it 33 and a third in sort of ode to vinyl. I don't know why, I just felt like it was a good idea. We're going to be going live on Thursday, the 15th of February today, recording on Valentine's Day. Um, we've got Richard Evans in the studio. How are you doing, Richard? Hello, very well, thank you. That's good. Uh, we've also got Mark Tinley. Uh, are you in Hampshire, Mark? No, I'm from Hampshire originally, but I'm actually in Cambridgeshire. I'm in Huntingdon. In the Shire. Indeed. Uh, not in a sort of hobbity kind of way, of course. I could go into long detail about how much I hate that ridiculous book, but I won't. Okay. Perhaps leave it for another podcast. Um, and and go non-Eric from Berlin. Hello, everyone. Uh, non-Eric, of course, is uh, host to MusoTalkDE and DigitalMusician.net. In fact, um, we had a strange coincidence. I got an email yesterday uh, and it said, Hi, Nick, I'm in Bath. Um, are you, um, which is where I am, Bath in England, and um, we met for a coffee, which was very nice, and Hans showed me um, some fabulous new technology, or non-Eric, as he's uh, as he's better known. Would you care to expand on that? Oh, I would love to care to expand on that, because we are actually, while we're doing this podcast, we are rolling out the Digital Musician Recorder as a public beta version, and that is a 16-track recorder uh, that allows to share these tracks with other members of our community. Uh, for offline collaboration on the net and it incorporates our digital musician link technology for directly recording via DSL lines and it's a kind of a standalone application that rewires uh, with logic and pro tools and live and everything and it's uh, supposed to uh, let you do what I call team tracks. So is it like what that rocket network thing was? That kind of much Better. I'm sure it's better. I was just put it that idea. <laughs> it is. It's very cool, it's, actually. I'm, I, I saw we went to the local Starbucks and um, we connected up via wireless network. And uh, Hans showed me the application, and it's very cool. I mean, essentially, you can have a two-ended sort of recording session whereby you know somebody would be playing back tracks and then you would be overdubbing remotely, and it timestamps and records up to sixteen channels. Uh, but also those 16 channels can be kind of protected and given people can be given access by given permissions to use. It's a very cl- interesting and quite clever collaborative tool, I would say. Yes, basically you can think of it as uh, having a multi-track tape somewhere remotely on the net and you and people can share these tracks. So you could probably and and in in not in the first version, but in the version that we'll be releasing in a couple of weeks, you will be able to uh, sell and buy performances tracks via our system using a paypal system so you could upload a track uh, click on sell a track and the producer or administrator of the project will be able to buy that track off you and you'll be able to listen to a preview version in a low quality mp3 but once he paid and pressed that uh, buy button you'll be uh, immediately be able to download the full resolution file so um, when you say launch, I mean, um, d- public beta, does that mean people can just go to digitalmusicians.net and kind of get hold of it, or do they need to join up? How does it work? Well, it will be available to all registers, registered users, so there's no special beta program or anything. It's a, it's a public beta 
for all the registered users and you can register for free and download it for free and use it for free. It's a free thing. A free thing. And when, wow. yeah. when you launch it, I mean, because you and I, we have something in common today because I've also launched a product. We've launched uh, the Top 20 Greatest Synths, which is our uh, IPTV series, and we're very proud of it. Episode 1 went live today. Chart positions uh, 20 to 18. I'm not going to tell you any more details. So just go to sonicstate.com forward slash top 20. But we're we're promoting it as much as possible because we're very pleased with it. So, uh, Hans, when you launch something like this, I mean, is it a, was it not already this morning and you press the button or are you doing kind of interviews and press? I mean, what's the process? It's going to take the whole day uh, just, you know, uh, switching the stuff that we did in the sandbox. A sandbox is a kind of a development system, a testing system. Sure. Uh, and then we just migrate from the testing system to the live system bit by bit. And it's going to take the whole day, actually. Right. And um, uh, we decided that first we want to get it up and running, and then we do the promotion uh, and the press releases and everything. We just, we just want to see it working first. Always a good for plan. Us, yeah, yeah, because really we don't really need to, to, to rush um, uh, the information out because once it's up there, we just you know, do the press releases and people can instantly go to our website and download it because if you, if you publicize it before and then people come to our website and it's not there it's not yet, there yet. Yeah, you know, sure. yeah, it's, it's an, kind of an anticlimax. So this is available as a standalone application for what, both Mac and PC platforms? Mac and PC, Mac uh, Universal Binary, um, PC, we, we did some tests on Vista, and uh, it's probably going to work uh, on uh, the 30-bit version of Vista. Okay. Um, and, yeah, and it's uh, going to be uh, compatible with Rewire. Right. So you can use that as a master and a slave, so you'll be able to uh, record from Reason and from Ableton also directly into the recorder, and you will be able to use Reason as a as an instrument and Ableton as an instrument host actually to also for live sessions. And presumably, I mean, you know, because obviously uh, did you, you chose to do a, a standalone plug a standalone version because of all the kind of issues with various different uh, audio workstations and plug-in formats. Is that, is that your reasoning behind it? Uh, yes. Um, the, the first idea why we did the uh, coming back from the Rocket experience because I was handling Rocket for Steinberg for about two years and one of the problems was always that it really would only work if both were on the same uh, host application. They never really got it, uh, made it compatible uh, right, so that I could do a session yeah, cross application. And uh, f initially we thought maybe we just talk to all the uh, companies, to all the host application companies and persuade them to use the technology. But then we thought, oh, that's going to take forever. And maybe it's a better idea to showcase the technology and use a, a plug-in format so that makes that compatible and we can, you know, s uh, we can let co other companies see how the technology works and then maybe get them to integrate that more deeply sure. into their host applications. And uh, from the experience uh, with the plugin, it's actually stretching the concept of a VST plugin quite a, quite a lot. Yeah, and I all can these, imagine. And all the host applications are slightly different and we have no control over the, the tracks, we have no control over the transport as a plugin. And, uh, for example, Sonar is not even uh, able to record the output of a plugin. So there's various uh, issues, and it makes it a bit pretty hard uh, for the user as well uh, to handle uh, uh, the software. Yeah. That was one of the reasons behind it. 
Um, does that mean that your um, technology could be a central hub for five different people using five entirely different sequences and that they could actually communicate with each other without having to sort of go through the pain of transferring everything into the, the different formats and lining everything up again? Well, basically, uh, in, 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 a, in a very broad way, yes. But obviously, uh, the, the DMR basically acts as a container, as a unified container for all these applications. So if, 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 if oh, you're right, on logic, yeah. if you're on logic and uh, somebody else is on Cubase, you, you would export your tracks into it and the, the other person would uh, import them and vice versa. Or what I will be doing is, and what I've done so far is, I just, when I'm adding, for example, if you did a Cubase, you, you're, I don't know, what are you on, Mark? Logic. Okay. If you're on Logic and I'm on Live, what I could do is uh, you would send, you would have to export a stereo or, or a single track uh, subgroups into the DMR, you know, either by drag and dropping them or importing them into the into the DMR. And I would be able to hook it up as a rewire s- a slave to Ableton. So I wouldn't even have to uh, export the tracks into Ableton, but actually have them come in via rewire. I would add to it, and then I just switch around, and I would be able to record my Ableton stuff into uh, the DMR, and you would be able to download that piece, uh, that track uh, into Logic, and drag and drop oh, okay. it into Logic. Well, I'm presumably if it's a rewire master and a slave, you could actually could you not? Um plug you know record from outputs of logic directly into it as a rewire yeah if logic would be a bit more clever with rewire yes but Uh, logic's more of a master isn't it it has to be it's only master and it's a pretty nasty master too (laughs) how do you record plugins in logic because i don't know how to do you have to put them on an input object or there's a there's a command which is under the I think the export menu or something like that which is oh the bouncing rent, thing rent, well no you don't even have to bounce now you can just you can just say make make uh, instrument track into an audio into an audio file and it and it automatically does it where the, having to where the hell that. is this function please yeah okay. no, I don't know <laughs> okay, where it is it in a release it's I don't know last year or something like that and I can't remember precisely where it is but it's under the <laughs> it's, it's under it's the, somewhere bounce, under the bounce file to, it's bounced to disk yeah because you can bounce the entire session to or, disk or, or individual, individual tracks, or individual yeah. ones yeah that's true oh you mean the multi yeah 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 that one but it's you know it's uh, unfortunate yeah I know what that yeah, is I yeah. mean, it, it's nearly right and nearly really good, but just not quite. Well, I, I've been doing a lot of OMF transfers uh, of late, but now it's possible, I think, to mix something in Pro Tools that somebody else has done in Logic, and it only takes about an hour these days. It used to take about a week to make OMF work, yeah, but no, now it's, it's all annoying. jolly and great. And it's I just use Broadcast WAVs. I mean, that seems to be the... If you use yeah, Broadcast WAV files, then they're all time-stamped, and you just drop them in. I mean, the basic idea uh, why we, we made this concept in that way was actually to be very, very universal so that even somebody, if you would work as a producer with somebody who's not so technology savvy and he's just a singer or a guitar player, you could, you know, uh, get him to an online session or audition with him or practice with him. He just needs to plug something have... into his sound card and it sort of works. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because this thing Brilliant. will talk directly to your sound card so you could just plug your guitar in and join the session and then... One, two, three, four, and you're off, basically. Yeah. Hit record. Brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. I know, I know a lot of people that would be very happy about that. Oh, we hope so. It's, we hope it's lots and lots and lots of people. <laughs> yes. Well, we hope so too, and we'll do our very best to help you out there. 
without money changing hands, of course. SonicState.com. Do, does anyone want to bother with the Grammys, or is it just too too dull to bother with? Did anybody see who mixed it? It sounded a bit weird. It sounded like there were just room mics and not anything else. Really? Did anybody notice that? To summarise, um, all the usual people that you'd expect to win won, apart from the Dixie Chicks, who did very well, which was uh, unusual, because they were sort of... The pariah, weren't they, for a long time, because they said something unpatriotic about ten years ago. No British acts, apart from Bryn Terfel, who is in fact Welsh, actually got a Grammy. Did he? Oh, well done him. He's a sort of Welsh classical singer in the the sort of popular style, I would say. Synthay, it's an EMS Synthy emulator, and it's just released, and it's up to version 4.1. It's free... Uh, it is wow. made, it's a VSTi synth for the Mac and Windows, but it's developed in Mac. So it might not have made your AU um, r- free roundup, Mark. But uh, I downloaded it and I couldn't try it because I don't have a VST host. Ah, so but I mean, I could have. I suppose I could have gone to the trouble of going and finding one, etc., etc., etc. But I, I haven't had time to do that. But um, I'm almost certain that when I voted in your top twenty synthesizers that AKS Synthy, the suitcase one, was on my list because Nick um, Rhodes has got one of these and I absolutely love yeah, it. Yeah, I've always wanted one. I mean, we've actually... The VCS is in there. Um, we've got the VCS3. I think it's exactly the same synth, yeah, It's just in a different think, case, yeah. Yeah. Well, you'll have to watch our Top 20 Synths IPTV series, which has got which features the VCS. So you can see if you actually own the uh, EMS Synthy emulator then um, you can look at some pictures of, of a real one and see whether they compare. I like the battleships thing with, you know, the breadboard where you can, and, and you make your patch lists and stuff and you can, you stick different um, coloured pins into those holes to connect things up. Uh, Nick doesn't understand how it works at all, which I think is his advantage personally, because he looks at it puzzled and then randomly puts pins in. And I do it very logically and go, if you're building a synthesizer, it should have an oscillator followed by an envelope, followed by a filter and blah, 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 blah. And I always make things that sound like synths, and Nick always makes things that sound really out of this world and quite amazing with it. So, Which is kind of um, what... A lot of people tend to use it for, in, in effects-wise. Richard, have you, have you, are you familiar with the VCS-3? Well, they had about four when I was at college, and nobody went anywhere near it because all they were interested in was the DX7. That's all they wanted at the time. And so there were four, oh. which I think the college were actually trying to sell, and nobody really wanted it. But I used it in a, in a free imp- improvisation band called Was It a Car or a Cat I Saw, which is the same forward as it is backwards. And I'd sit in the corner and whittle a joystick and make a horrible buzzing noise for about an hour and everybody would get pissed off with me. And that's my only experience of it. But I did really, really love it. And I'd really love one now. They kind of make you want to wear a white coat and, wear, and, and hold a clipboard and wear sort of perhaps too thick spectacles. Well, they're very good for posing next to, which I'm sure is... Oh, well, that's got to be a plus. <laughs> I think um, it's one of Brian Eno's favourite synths as well, isn't it? Brian Eno used it heavily on the Heroes album. With David Bowie, for example, mm. but, but I noticed he sold it. He sold really? it in in um, or oh, what's on Vimeo, on the Vimeo uh, auction. He sold it about two years ago, and it went for about twenty thousand pounds. And I really don't think he uses it anymore. Well, he can't do, given that he sold the thing. How could he? <laughs> Brian Eno produced um, Devo, didn't he? And he used this a lot on that. I just wanted to add that uh, what he uh, did. Um, is sort of feed guitars into the synthesizer a lot. You know, he did that with uh, um, Robert Fripp's guitar on the Heroes album, Uh and he did it with U2 quite a lot. So Uh that was one of his major acts that he did, you know, sort of doing that, that feeding guitars into 
the synthesizer and mucking around with oh, the so I, and ring modulator. I did the whole the for Nick Rhodes um, synth parts on the Medazaland album. I put the K two thousand through the synthy, and everything we did was K two thousand and synthy based. Now Eno's using those um, DJ Korg DJ the bass, chaos pads, the chaos pads, and he has two chaos pads next to each other. One which does a kind of stuttery effect, and another one which does a filter. And he plugs guitar players into that and wiggles his hand in the air above it, and girls think he's great. <laughs> I, do I detect a note of cynicism there, Richard? Well, it looks better than it sounds. And as I, and as I was hinting with the VCS3, I, I think that's often the case. But he is to produce Coldplay, which um, could be. Maybe he's going to put Coldplay through a VCS3 and a Chaos Pad, and that'll just be the album. Well, a year and a half ago, he, he, I heard him speak about his production career and he said he wasn't going to produce any more records and what he was interested in doing was providing sonic backdrops for people to do their best work. And He feels that this is what he's always done well rather than being a producer. And if you notice, that's what he did for the Paul Simon album. Uh, but everybody still said he, said produced, he it. produced it, which he didn't. And I think he just did his you know, funny noises thing and then Paul Simon wrote us. Well, that's very big of him to admit that, though, isn't it? Well, no, Finally. actually, I, no, I, I think it's very smart because it means that rather than um, saying your involvement is a producer, but it's a writer, so you get publishing instead of just... Um, <laughs> so, uh, and, and that's Fantastic. exactly the reason he did it. I'm absolutely sure of it. They'll record hours and hours and hours of stereo pairs for him to... For, for Chris Martin to No, I don't think so. But from what I... I did a little bit, little bit of work with him about a year and a half ago, and he, he has logic on a laptop, and he, and he sits with... Um, the native instruments FM eight or whatever it is, and Apple loops and the all the onboard synths on Apple and makes a little little thing for people to improvise over the top of. That sounds like what I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you should shave all your hair off. Mate. Well, so anyway, um, apparently the new material will be airing for the first time in South America which is an interesting way to debut it. Um, so that if, you're, if you happen to be in Santiago or Buenos Aires or Sao Paulo, um, from the 14th, well, this month, I suppose, from today. Today is Santiago Espacio Risco. And um, 21st, 20, 20th, 20, 20th to the 22nd of this month is Buenos Aires Gran Rex. And the end of the month is Sao Paulo Via. So if you want to catch the new material that's been worked on by Eno, you can jet over to... Uh, South America. The new Moe Synthesizer range. From Yamaha. The affordable, portable, lightweight, motive ES-based workstation with authentic sounds. And drum kits. Extensive onboard effects. Praise factory sequencing. USB. And multi-zone. MIDI. Seamless integration with all DAW. Software. Virtual synths. And VST. Applications. For a full spec, check out www.yamahasynth.com. Total recall. Total integration. Total control. Moe Synthesizer range. From Yamaha. Well, you heard the man. Uh, visit yamahasynth.com if you want to uh, find out more about the MO Synths. Um, I'd just like to say thanks very much to Yamaha UK, who are sponsoring the podcast. Very forward-thinking of them. So uh, if you want to help us help them, just go click. One of my um, pet hates, the DM DRM Free Music. That's the news that EMI are considering DRM Free Music. Um, this is presumably after Steve Jobs' recent sort of outburst. The, the thrust of the argument is that... Um, Steve Jobs says, you know, we'd love to open up the iPod and, and, and make it available to other software and, and other um, MP3 players and, you know, iTunes itself. But the record companies wouldn't let us. When we first started doing this thing, they were so insistent that it had to be done, you know, very closed. 
Um, you know, but we'd be happy to. So, hey, folks, why don't we just get rid of digital rights management and just let everybody kind of put their stuff out and then we can all be one big happy global family and we'll still sell loads of iPods and iTunes. That's about the gist of it. And EMI have been mulling this over. Is that right? Somehow, suddenly there was this general uh, outburst from various sources that everybody is now uh, absolutely sure that DM, DRM music is bad, it's hurting everybody, and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's really, really strange change of mind on, on a lot of people. I've, got, I've just got to say, I mean, because of all this sort of RIAA suing kind of grandmas and stuff business, I mean, surely, <laughs> you know, for, for, for letting their grandchildren download things on the, their computers they're not even aware of, and they're still going after them and saying, I don't care, you're still responsible, this is the latest case. Um You've just got to think, you know, the music business is about youth culture mostly, isn't it? That's what drives it. And kids who are being dis- being shown record companies that basically sue their grandmas and kind of are really, really grey-suited, big-brothered kind of profit-grabbing sh- profit people, are really go- I- they're going to kind of lose interest in buying records, surely. It just seems like they're getting the whole PR thing wrong. It's weird, especially when you're trying to compete uh, with music that is available for free, basically, on on all the file sharing uh, systems and your product that you are trying to sell is actually completely dongled and destroyed and hardly usable how how can you expect to be successful with such a product it's ridiculous what i when i read in the article when i when i flicked through it though was that them saying well we sell 90 percent of what we sell is cds which don't have drm so the other 10 percent it doesn't really matter and let's just re- relax a little bit not bother with it well, I suppose that's a point, isn't it? Yeah. Mark, Mark, was it you that brought up a, a kind of rights management that's a play-based system? So the you... last, I was think, talking about Last FM. Yeah. And basically, Last FM has two pieces of software, a piece of software that sits on your computer, and it listens to what music you're actually playing on your computer, and another piece of software which you can put in your iPod, which I think is the most important thing. And it listens to what you play on your iPod and reports back to Last FM. So they have a chart which is compiled basically from what music people are listening to, not the music that they're buying. And I think that the thing that the record company or the record industry has to get into its head is that we need to give up this idea that people are going to buy music. We need to make all music available free, all of it and have a massive library somewhere that people can go and join, um, pay a subscription or whatever so that, so that money goes to the artists that are making the music, and, um, and basically you pay per play. So I could have masters and masters of music either accessible in, in an offline place or the stuff I listen to most often on my computer. Um, and every time I played something, I would create a little report and it had charged me a cent, say. It should be a small amount of money. So if I, you know... If it's all held in a central repository and you just listen to it when you want to, you don't have to worry about converting it into whatever yeah, the current format is. Absolutely. You, you get rid of all these problems of, you know, managing your gigabytes of MP3s and backing it up and all that sort of stuff. I think what would be a great solution is... Uh, as Mark described, the subscription model, you pay for what you listen to. I mean, maybe it's a flat fee or a, you pay um, for each time you listen to it. And it, what would be nice if there would be a kind of a cache, cache system that caches maybe the last hundred tracks that you listen to most onto your computer or your iPod so that if you have no access to the Internet for some reasons... <laughs> yeah. then you can still listen to your favorite tracks and that would solve the whole problem. Yeah, because, that's a good idea. And that's, 
and and I think that's the way it's going to go. Definitely. Doesn't this mean that record that record companies essentially will cease to exist, and it's the publishing that will be taking the revenue? I think the record companies just going to have to rethink the way that it sells music. I think they're going to. Um, I mean, they would still exist because I, I'm still a firm believer, and I and I know this from experience. If I try and sell my own music on the internet, despite the fact that a hundred thousand Duran Duran fans know who I am, etc., etc., nobody actually wants to buy any of my music because I haven't been promoted properly. Uh, I, I, that's what I'm telling myself, anyway. But, <laughs> well, um, that's, that's what I would uh, do. Yeah, my, but I think. But I'm sure that with my music, if I could get somebody to get behind it and go out there and promote it and put up all the billboard posters and do all the proper um, press and radio and everything else, that I could probably sell 100,000 copies. I don't see why not. The, the promotion side of it is actually very expensive. I think where it's become very complicated is that it, there's not much transparency when you look at a record company's kind of the way that they take their cut. It, it just feels inequitable but i'm sure there are arguments for and against but it it sort of feels like a popular argument doesn't it to sort of make them the bad guys a good friend of mine just tried to take all that on himself and ended up spending something like 70 or 80 thousand dollars of his own money doing the same job that the record company did and it it didn't work out and and just just from this idea that all you need is exposure and those things publicity and radio and all of those things it doesn't really seem to work. And I rather suspect that just the whole way that people consume music has changed. And so that it's kind of pointless trying to remould the way that the music business worked in the 70s and 80s into now. And we need to just look at the whole thing afresh and start thinking more about other ways that musicians can make money. And I think most of it is, is playing live and going back to playing live and selling your recordings at your gigs. And for larger artists now... It, it's it's that your records advertise your gigs. It used to be that your gigs advertised your records. But it seems well, that's to true. I mean, it's uh, Goldfrapp when they were touring. They had a van out the back and they recorded. So they had a full recording session going on of the gig and the tracks would be burnt straight after the gig and you could just go and buy them and they'd start duplicating them as soon as the band came off stage and that would be that. Do we and, know anybody that's making a living by doing that kind of thing? Does anybody know any musician? Don't that's be so negative. No, no, no I, I'm, I'm not being negative. I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I just don't know. I've never met one. But well, I mean, ringtones. I suppose people who write ringtones, they probably met Crazy Frog. There you go. I bet they're making loads of money. But um, you know, I, I understand your point. Um, I mean, the other thing I was thinking is obviously the thing about small record labels is they tend to sort of, champ, you know, like uh, they tend to champion particular genres of music. So aren't you going to sort of miss that? So people like Warp. When they were first coming through, you know, you know that if you enter one warp artist, you might well like some of the other ones. And, you, you know, they've got kind of really f- strong followings as labels. And if they kind of go by the wayside, where's that going to come from? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe people just won't bother being signed to that kind of label at all now. But, I mean, that thing's only been around since the late 70s anyway, hasn't it? The punk thing sort of created that. So maybe this new kind of thing that uh, with the downloadable music and the kids listening to music on their ring on their mobile phones and stuff will create a whole new sort of industry because in this modern age when there's so much culture uh, people who filter it successfully i think that's a big business opportunity and yeah. still and rough trade is still doing fantastically well by filtering out all the crap and presenting a load of really good music and they are doing incredibly well it seems to me both artistically and they're in their and they're making money and i don't see them going away for a long time but yeah i mean i think your point is richard you know it's like don't tell me show me it's it, it's kind of 
there's this myth that people like Katie Tunstall and, and um, Sandy Tom have made their fortunes by down, and the Arctic Monkeys have made their fortunes by downloads. But they actually, as far as I can tell, they haven't. They've been noticed and then distributed by major record companies that has made their fortunes. Yeah, they're just good. Well, being, being good is always a, a well, yeah. bonus as well, isn't yes, it? Yes, I think being good is a good starting point, isn't it? SonicState.com now, what? now I'm going to show you how to make one of the most effective breaks of all. This break is called the Electro Funk Daddy Superstar Break. Now, for this, you'll need a that's an 808 clap, and also a bit of that's a dry snare. Then you'll also need some that's a 909 clap snare, and then of course some that's a kick, and then the that's some bass, and some and for good measure that's the synth. Oh, and no break of course would be complete without a bit of a shuffle. So for this, we're going to use some household white noise. You can get this from your TV. I got mine from Sainsbury's. The Beardy Man video. He's a, he's a beatboxer. Uh, his name is um, Darren Foreman, and he's currently the UK beatboxing champion. But he's sort of he's not a kind of hip hop safe kind of dude. He seems like quite a kind of um, public school sort of chap from what I can make of this video. And he's done this <laughs> he's done this sort of uh, cooking spoof video of him, uh, and it demonstrates his talents amiably. And if you go to his site, which is beardyman.co.uk, you can see some of his other video, and there's there's audio of him doing various kind of things. And he's quite remarkable. I liked his comment about the white noise. And he sort of said, oh, I got this white noise from my TV, but you could you could get some from Sainsbury's. Or, or, uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, th- I thought it was very well put together. I was surprised by his voice, though. He sounds like a sort of a 1940s Pathé newsreel style. I think he must be putting that voice on over. Yeah, possibly. If you're into beatboxing, I mean, there are some great exponents. I don't know if anyone's ever seen Russell. He's He's like a polyphonic beatboxer which is kind of, it sounds impossible, and, and in fact probably is, but he somehow manages to do it. He does this thing called If Your Mother Only Knew. He does the beats, the bass line, and the vocals, and it's sort of <laughs> at the same time. And you're just kind of going, wait a minute. It's absolutely amazing, and uh, this guy is kind of of a similar talent. Except he seems to be able to do backward spins. That seems to be his forte. He just, you know, I mean, I can't do them, but you have to go watch the video. It's brilliant. <laughs> that sounded like a turkey, didn't it? Actually, <laughs> sadly, quite an ex- endangered in species in uh, in this part of the woods. Yes. And in this part, Norfolk, that's just up the road from Oh, gosh, Bernard Matthews. For those who don't know, there's been a turkey bird flu kind of scare. They've just killed 160,000. Is there a lot of turkey going cheap by your ass there, Mark? Yeah, there is, definitely. (laughs) I was in Waitrose yesterday, and it's all marked down. Is it? And there's shelves and shelves of it. Nobody's buying it at all, including me. I I always buy marked down stuff. Not buying turkey? No. I've just had a turkey sandwich, and I'm all right so far. Yeah, I don't know. you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's all right if you cook it properly, I think. Yes, no, turkey sushi's probably one to avoid then, I'd imagine. My next-door neighbour stocked up with three months' worth of food and put it in their loft, and when the, when the flu hits, they're just going to lock the door and not go out for three months. Don't you think that's quite a smart thing to do? It sounds like panic buying, and um, has he got a blunderbuss as well? <laughs> no, the worrying thing is, his missus is a, um, is a consultant up at the hospital, so they're, they know what they're on about. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but they've probably got access to um, vaccines, haven't they? Well, no, they're not interested in that because they don't think the vaccines will work by the time it will happen. They just say they're just going to bring the drawbridge up and not let anybody in. 
What three are... months. They're going to eat beans and fray bentos pies. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose um, the H H one five whatever it is, flu virus, is probably not a topic of conversation for Sonic State on a general <laughs> level, but in passing, I can see that it has a relevance. Um, rollable LCD. Does that interest any of us? Do you like the idea of, like... It's that, not big enough. I know, but th- this, is a, this is a little LCD, but it's by Polymer Vision, and it's called Radius Device. I've got this friend, Bill, whose main claim to fr- fame, and he's done very well out of this... For designing the rubber on the end of a Wacom pen. Do you know the thing? Where you turn it round and there's a button on the other end, so... You can use it as an eraser. He pretends it's, yeah, an eraser. Thank you for that. He's done very well for years off the back of this, and and he he gets uh, highly paid as a consultant for computer uh, manufacturers. And the last time I saw him, he said the big growth area, now they've done memory and memory's got cheap, is display space. And so he's spending all this time working on this kind of thing. And he said to me, before long, you'll be able to buy wallpaper that can plug into your computer as a display. And I guess this is the first, the first uh, version of what it. What a concept. But I was thinking, I don't necessarily want big displays. I've got my little Wacom Cintiq screen that I work on the whole time, which is 15-inch. And for a while, I used a 19-inch one. And it was just too big. It's got too much information on it. And I, and I like a little... I like a small amount oh, of totally information. No, I totally disagree. I want all the information. When I'm working on songs, I want to be able to see the whole song all at once so I can see what I'm doing. If I can only see chunks of it going past, I can't Yeah, no, I can understand, that. but, I mean, Richard's, Richard's Wacom screen is it's actually a touch screen, isn't it, effectively? Well, it's, um, like, it's like a Wacom, oh. it's a Wacom pad with a screen behind it, and so you work directly on the GUI. Like you work with Logic? Yeah, I've been using it with Logic and um, uh, Pro Tools and Live. Actually, Live, they've got a problem with it. Um, but I've been using it for five or six years now, and it's a joy because all my RSI has gone and my posture problems have gone, and I, 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 could, I think I could beat anybody on a, a programming uh, quick-draw race because you're so quick because you don't have to mouse across. You just go directly to what you want with your hand. Oh, okay. It. That sounds really cool. It's just brilliant. But I subscribe to a service called Zinio because I discovered that there's a classic motorcycle magazine uh, in their delivery format. So I, instead of paying for the paper subscription, which is about um, 30-something pounds a year, I paid for an electronic subscription, which is about 10 pounds a year. I find it really impossible to read on my screen. I've got a 15-inch Apple laptop. But if I had a Radius, which was the size of two sheets of A4 paper, and I could go into the bathroom and roll it out and sit there and read it, that would be cool because I could read my magazine. Yeah, I know what you mean. Well, there was, I, I like the idea of that as well, that, the idea that you could just roll out because then you could just take a very small like PDA or something and roll out your screen and you know it comes in a tube or whatever but uh, yeah or with a new iphone where you can turn it around sideways and scroll down that looks like it might actually work it runs a as i, I don't know where you've seen it but it runs a proper web browser and you turn the phone sideways it realizes that you've done it and then runs safari and you just load up the normal web page and and scroll down mm. and i can see that as something that i would be able to read a book or a magazine on the train i totally agree i mean i think display and interaction is, you know, the next big area of, you know, all our, the world's brilliant minds will hopefully gravitate towards that and make it happen. Mm. And we'll get some of the spin-offs. In our quickies, I've got the obligatory stupid eye letter, uh, Apple eye trademark letter. There's uh, a, a bar, basically, called The Lift. 
where patrons are allowed to create 15-minute playlists and sort of deposit them to, to be listened to by all. And it's called iPod Monday. And Apple have sent them a cease and desist letter. Um, the events to a chap called Clint Curtis, the events creator, were, and they've decided that they don't know why this has happened because ever since they started it, they kind of informed Apple and invited them and kept them, you know, kept them uh, abreast of the situation. And suddenly the, the lawyers have sent them this awful cease and desist letter. When will it end, eh? Well, I don't understand how Apple think they own the rights to the letter I. And I discovered something really quite interesting recently. I watched a film called Proof, which is a very good film about mathematics, of all things, with uh, Anthony Hopkins in it and um, Gwyneth Paltrow. And um, somewhere in the middle of the film, they started talking about this thing in mathematics called I, which is the imaginary number. And um, I looked it up on Wikipedia. And there's um, I is the square root of minus one. And you have I and minus I. The first question is, do you think Apple's I is some kind of joke based on this mathematical thing? Or And then if you were to use minus I instead of I, then would you be in breach of Apple's trademark? Wow, now that's a fairly deep question. Uh, I mean... I think the I originally came from, um, it was because there was, you know, back in, back in the day when it was CD-ROMs and uh, Apple, t- you know, what was that? What was that? Um, the, the first online community Apple created? Uh, I can't remember what it was called. I, I, had I remember. It. Yeah, I, I, it wasn't I like. Apple was World it? or something. Apple I, World. I was on that. And I was on that. I had an email address on Apple World. And the I was, came from CD-ROM days when it was stood for interactive. That's quite simply, you know. No way. Yes. Oh, that's all it is. It's like I something, you know. I mean, and then it kind of got hijacked by the internet. I mean, I, somebody will put me right on this, but no, you're right. You had CDI with CD in big letters, and then the little, little I. Well, I mean, with the, all these legal uh, issues and the trademark issues, it, at the end of the day, it always boils down if you got the muscle or not, and if you got the money. And who's got the money is always right, and, and that's a big problem because even uh, uh, companies that are obviously overdoing it, get away with it, because uh, you just can't uh, defend yourself. You oh, yeah, can't defend you can't yourself, defend yourself. Yeah, that's because, right. because, because the, the, the legal fees are so high, uh, you just can't afford to, have, to be right. But if me and you started a Guinness Friday, just when we all got together and drank Guinness, would Guinness uh, get in touch with us and tell us to cease and desist? Or is it only Apple behaving? Like I don't know, but I'm willing to give it a go. <laughs> I reckon they'd encourage you. Exactly. Surely people that turn up at this club without an iPod and haven't got an iPod uh, playlist are going to feel inadequate and they're going to need to go Is out that and inadequate buy an with iPod. a small i? i dash yeah. inadequate. <laughs> inadequate. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> <laughs> On that comedic note, maybe we should, um, maybe we should call, it, call it i day. Um, chaps, uh, it's been a pleasure as always. Um, so thank you very much, uh, non-Erica. Thank you for putting some, some of your time into your valuable schedule to, to come and talk to us once again. Yes. I hope the launch is going good. Richard Evans, thank you for coming into the office. Studio, stroke... Uh, You're welcome. Sonic Towers. And Mark Tinley, thank you very much, Mark, for joining us as well. Yes, you're welcome. How, how was that? That was great. I think that's probably your best yet this year. 
Okay, well, that's it. Once again, uh, we'd just like to say do uh, go and visit uh, sonicstate.com forward slash top 20 to see our latest IPTV series on top 20 since uh, chart positions 20 to 18. Uh, we think you'll love it. We're very proud of it. And uh, if you've got any comments uh, about the podcast or anything else that you hear or see on sonicstate.com, um, just drop us a line on sonictalk at sonicstate.com or you can Skype us at Sonic Talk. Or if you want to give us a ring and you're in the US, uh, just dial 312 376 8089. Uh, if you're outside the US, uh, plus 1 312 Or if you're in the UK, 0207 870 8616. Or if you're outside the UK, plus 44 207 870 8616. Thanks for listening. That's it for this week. Sonic. States. Let's go.